For many people, Imogene and Willie were the rebirth of the American denim brand and all that came with it. But that wasn't their intention when they launched in 2009. Founders Matt and Carrie Edmondson had been making denim for a large portion of the world before that. American denim was all they knew how to do and what they loved. American denim made in America. And with the 2008 financial crisis in full swing, starting a company in a crisis and growing seemed nuts to many. But they did it. And here we are. So how are they going to do it again? My name is Jeremy Kirkland, and this is Blamo, a podcast exploring the world of fashion with the people that shape it. My guests this week are Matt and Carrie Edmondson, founders of Imogene and Willie. Matt and Carrie share the origins of the brand, how they began in an economic crisis, why they launched for men and women simultaneously, and how they're bringing cone denim back to life with Vidalia Mills in Louisiana. Have you ever found yourself reading the Wikipedia synopsis of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre because you're too scared to watch it for yourself, but you're just so curious? What about The Conjuring? Well, wiki no further, the podcast Too Scary Didn't Watch has you covered. Each week on Too Scary Didn't Watch, hosts Emily Gonzalez, Henley Cox, and Sammy Smart recap horror films for all the scaredy cats out there. Together, they'll face their fears and cautiously explore the sometimes intimidating world of horror with help from special guests like armchair experts Monica Padman, comedian Betsy Sodaro, and actor Eugene Cordero. New episodes of Too Scary Didn't Watch are released every Wednesday and are available wherever you get your podcasts or at TooScaryDidn'tWatch.com. Matt and Carrie, it's good to talk to you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, this is good. And you guys were talking on my on my fancy new rig that where you can, nice. we can pipe a bunch of people here. There's little buttons to add music if that was a thing. But Wow. Oh, yeah. yeah, drum pad. Yeah, right. Or samples. I don't know what... Yeah, you, apparently you can put whatever sample you want on here, but that is permanently don't off. Don't let Matt touch that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, we uh, declined from the Howard Stern route of the show, but it's good to it's good to talk with you. Um, we were talking a while for about a bunch of all this stuff uh, about you guys' business, your family, um, which is good because I think sometimes I'll talk with people and you know, or whomever they'll, they'll walk into the room, the stuff set up, they put on headphones and they're like, okay, let's go. And you get no like pregame. Yeah. You gotta have a pregame. Yeah. Right. You gotta figure things that, you know, I'm like, okay, like I know we're on the same page on a lot of these things. So I think regardless of whatever happens, this will be a very pleasant (laughs) conversation. Um, so what are you guys doing in New York? We're here to see you. What? We are. Did, did that is true here? for me. Seriously, it really is true. Um, I am literally going to, when we finish, I will probably try to find one or two things to do. And then I'm heading back to the airport to go back to Nashville. So, well, let's jump back because obviously okay. you're you're on this hilltop now where it sounds like you guys are doing pretty good. Your business is doing good. You're having your, your parents, you're, you're back in Nashville but way before this, and when we were talking, you know, you were telling me about a, a, you know, a mutual colleague that we had met that came and visited you. What, what was going on then? Like, how, how did you two meet? Let's, let's start there. Okay, so you want to know about the... the, 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 the um, Roll going, it! <laughs> going back to school seventh grade pool party. Was it really? Yeah. How long have you known each other? Since we Since were 12. Seventh grade. Yeah. Well, she's... I say 11. But- my... Parents held me back in third grade. Um, 
because I was awful. And um, so really, we are only three months apart. Okay. But she's three months older than I am, so this is my cougar wife. Okay. But seriously, we've known each other since we were 12. We grew up in the same hometown. Um, what, what hometown? Henderson, Kentucky. What's there? Well, swim party. Yeah. I mean, at yeah. the time. <laughs> swim party. <laughs> so Not this a lot. is how it went Not down. Matt was grounded all summer. Yeah. That summer. And, and okay. We got, he, I got arrested. And our buddies, our mutual. But you got arrested friends. at age 11? Yes. Yeah. We, we snuck out of our, of my friend Stuart's parents' house, um, which we didn't even really refer to it as sneaking out. Sure. We, we were just going to go to the grocery store, which was kind of far away at midnight. Okay. And uh, maybe like a mile, mile, maybe a mile and a half away. And we were just hungry. We were going to go and get snacks. We had some money. Okay. So we get the cookies and the Chips Ahoy and the whole nine. And then we go sit out in front of the grocery store. What time of day is it? This is midnight. Okay. <laughs> okay. Outside. Outside after, out after curfew. And uh, we're sitting on the park bench, with, which would normally be where you catch the bus. And... Uh, Police officer or woman police officer pulls. I think it was a woman police officer. She pulled up. She goes, "Okay, guys, get in. You're out after curfew." And I looked at my friend Stuart and I go, "What's curfew?" <laughs> and uh, we went down to the station. Of course, Stuart and I are laughing the whole way while our friend Chris and and Dax were crying <laughs> profusely. And uh, we're Stuart and I are like, well, what about the what about that guy right there? He's out after curfew. And what about that guy? You know, so yeah. So, um, really, what was was it an, a very innocent thing? Mm-hmm. I got like in huge trouble. I mean, I was just gr- being yeah, because it's I not was like you grounded were- the whole. Which honestly, you were let, grounded let, most let's, of the time. Though. Let's you know, that's right. But <laughs> in in all reality. I probably was only grounded for a month because some summer had passed. Right. So my first uh, uh, chance at getting out into the free world. Your debut. My debut of that summer um, was getting to go to Carrie's back to school swim party. All right. Now, had we met before, probably, or. But I, I didn't know you were coming. You were. Stewart's guest. Yeah, I was Stewart's yeah. guest. I even remember riding out in uh, the um, Mercedes 280SL convertible, like in the back with no. I remember you all. Yeah, and I was. I thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever. It's still. <laughs> it. I think it is the coolest it thing. It is. It really. Yeah. There's. You know. Anyway, shout Maybe out to Stewart and and Dax and Chris. So you're in the car, and you get there, and you're at the pool party. You guys meet each other, and then what? We got married 30 years later. <laughs> I mean, it, it sounds like it because well, we yeah. you're fast we were, friends, huh? We were, we were, we were, um, we were friends. We were always friends. I mean, Carrie has like, Carrie's mom keeps everything. All right. So she has letters that I wrote Carrie in junior high. Like, hey, what's up? I, you know, Circle blah, blah, blah. yes or no if yeah. you want to hang no, out. No, well, no, no, none no, of that. None. none of that. We weren't, we just were like, I, we I don't know. There's something. Yeah, we were friends. friends. And and uh, I always had a lot of respect for Carrie. I mean, I always felt like she was like a lot more mature than 
uh-huh. a lot of other people. So she was, I mean, this is my view of her at 12 years old. Was sure. She was mature and you know, had her stuff together. And, and he so, kept that view after we got married. <laughs> but. So, so, you know, that was sort of, I don't know. I mean, I don't know really why I said that other than to say, like, we were just friends and we, but we went, always admired each other. I think so. And I would be, I remember like I physically can feel um, like what my body felt like when I would know when my best friend would tell me, I, I'm going to the dance with Matt. Oh. I went to the movies with Matt and it was nothing that was ever spoken by either of us out loud to anyone or to ourselves or to each other mm-hmm. that we would consider having any relationship outside of just being friends. Right. Until way, way, way later. Well, what's way later? Cause like when, 29. when does it, so that was 87 ish. So you both go to school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where'd you go to school? I went to the art Academy of Cincinnati. Okay. Oh, we both went to college. Yeah. School. yeah. Um, I went to some of that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I went to a little liberal arts school in Kentucky Center College. Okay. And the summer before I went, my graduation present was to open a retail store in our hometown and sell blue jeans. Um, and that's really all I cared about. So I dropped out quickly, as quickly as possible. I held on as long as I could. Carrie had a fax machine in her college dorm room with the end of day sales report. What? Yeah. So I went. I, I was two years, two years in school. Okay. And and the only person in my family, it's it's ironic. You hear so many beautiful stories about someone being the first person in their family to go to college. I was the first person in my family to not finish college. Nice. Yeah. That's all right. And actually my dad officially, but he, he did further yeah. education. So I count myself as the only but I'm 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 so fine with it. But wait, what about this retail store? What's going on there? Oh, it was so sweet. Yesterday's blues. Yesterday's blues. Yesterday. So was that your it first? It was the pre. Uh, sort of, it was it the pre Urban Outfitter. She sold um, UCDs. Okay. And vintage Levi's, and then it was what? like the old Gap. But you had like yeah yeah I would say yeah you're probably right. More. Is this your first experience like as a as a merchant? Hmm. Okay. Yeah, before that, I mean, I would work every summer, but just put putting buttons on jeans and labels and packing. But that, yeah, that was my first retail experience. And and so you you have your own store mm-hmm. called Yesterday's Blues. Mm-hmm. And when does Matt enter the picture? Well, Matt was always. Yeah, I mean, in I, the I went picture, there. I mean, this but... is during. This is like I'm still in high school when this store. Wait. Really? Yeah. I thought, okay. Yeah. So for graduation. So, graduation. High school, high school graduation. graduation. Yeah. Yes. Say okay. to her, you're going to turn this. You have front, a building. You, you have, have this much money and whatever it takes. It was an old WPA building from the war. Okay. And it was a piece of shit. And it, it previously was a tanning bed. All right. Store or yeah. place. Um, center. And I had to renovate it. Um, appoint it, do the buying, set up the POS if there was such a thing at that time, um, 
And you wanted and to do this? And That's a great, I've never asked this question, but mm-hmm. what made your parents say like, did you, did, did you wake up in the morning every day and go, I want a retail store? Yeah. I don't remember how that happened. And really it was, it was my brother, it was Bart, my brother and my mom and dad. I think they just knew they, they knew I did not need to go to college, mm-hmm. but I can see that they wanted me to go if I thought I needed to go. They, they didn't encourage me not to go, but I think, I, well, actually I know deep down I should have taken a gap year or right been they knew you were an entrepreneur and that you needed some other they, way to they, to learn they needed yeah. to help me find a different outlet or right. a different route a different path but they did not do any of that for me they just they just sort of opened the path that mm-hmm. being a possibility of a path and man it was one of the greatest gifts i've ever well yeah greatest gift I've ever gotten. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was wonderful. It lasted, I mean, our town of 32,000, um, couldn't necessarily support a store like that at that time. Sure. And actually still maybe more so today. Um, but it was, yeah, it was, it was really good. I have to say. Our, our nieces and nephews run around with the, like the old sweatshirts that say, yesterday's blues which as opposed to being like screen printed it's like embroidered oh really <laughs> yeah like wow yeah but you know it's it's that's uh that's you know it's like come back around to be in style mm-hmm. so that was 93 yeah and to answer your question matt and i so we both went our separate ways at that yeah time. i lived in cincinnati where i went to to school I, I moved to Chicago for a short time and then found myself sort of at a crossroads there uh, yeah and decided just to come home and kind of regroup really and I was having coffee with uh my friend Stuart's mom who I spoke about the curfew thing this yeah this is 11 years later just to give you time oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. and um I and and Carrie was living in Istanbul Turkey at the time which I not only knew that because um, of your class reunion thing where I ran into a friend of mine who was like, yeah, Carrie came back from Istanbul, Turkey to come to the class reunion. I was like, wow, I didn't even know she was there, but, but whatever. And my friend's mom said, um, well, you know, Carrie moved next door. She lives right there. And I was like, I thought she lived in Turkey. And she's like, no, she's working down at sites, denim systems. And, and I literally, literally, just stood up and walked a block mm-hmm. down the street to Sites Denim Systems. Walked in as if I knew where it was. I mean, like I had been there a hundred times. Okay. And I walk in and literally it's Carrie's little sister, who I knew very well, uh, Carrie, uh, our friend Kelly, and Bart, just in this room. And I walk in and it was like, us up and that was like it i mean that was it that was it I, we were back in each other's lives after you know we both moved back and trust me when i say that well i didn't really consider myself as moved back but we were both there and let's just say that maybe i stayed <laughs> because of of her being there you know interesting yeah 
So you're at sites, and this is where, if because I would say a lot of listeners know either way too much about sites or know nothing at all. But could you give a, a very quick explanation of it? That's impossible. <laughs> yeah, that really is impossible, man. But Gary. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's. It was uh, a factory. It was a factory, and it was born out of necessity and new beginnings mm-hmm. in 86 and the necessity part and the new beginning part um was because of there being there was an abandoned factory in our hometown that happened to be the previous location of my grandparents mm-hmm. textile rental business and it was on main street and I say was because now it's gone um, in our hometown and they had moved, they had grown and moved into a more savvy facility. They had actually built a, a new place. So my dad um, taboo to talk about at the time, but he, he wasn't shy about it, had gone to rehabilitation for alcoholism mm-hmm. and came back from treatment. And it was, the juncture of needing to find a fresh start. Mm-hmm. So he, he left politics and banking and set up in a desk in that factory. And our dog at the time would go, I remember would go to work. Well, I call it work would go to the factory with him. And he just tried to figure out what to do. Mm-hmm. And because there were old machines still left in the facility, um, he, spoke to someone or multiple people every day in and out in that same world, like in that industry of textile machinery, uh, textile rental. And the story goes like this. Some, someone said to him, you know, they're, they're putting rocks and this chemical called permanganate in these big washer bellies. And then they're putting genes in the machines Mm. and it's apparently going to be this thing called acid wash. And so then dad networked a bit and I think maybe. You mean bullshitted a bit. Yeah, he he bullshitted a bit. (laughs) Okay. And called someone that knew someone and maybe, and this could be wrong. It was either Oshkosh or I think it was Oshkosh was the first contract. And they said, yeah, we have more, more truckloads than we can even find a place to have these jeans washed. Do you know what you're doing? He's like, absolutely. Yes, we know what we're doing. Okay. So the trucks started coming from all the sewing plants in the Southeast to our little hometown. And that's how it started. Wow. In 86. Yeah. The rumor is like, well, not really rumor, but. They like hired like 800 people in like four months or something crazy it like that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so that's not a rumor that that no, was what happened. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't know if it was the exact <laughs> yeah, number, the de- yeah, you know, the numbers. Because um, yeah. I think the, the big thing and also why we're talking to is, you know, uh, both of you. That was a mount. That was a valley and then a mountain. Yeah. Back to your your mountain. I mean, you analogy. coming from. You know, and we'll talk about, was it Vidalia? Did Mm -hmm. I say it correctly? Yeah. And like Vidalia Mills and like, because so much of you and your business and and 
and your brand is is denim and denim's in your blood and textiles in your blood but it was all manufacturing in the United States which is something that is kind of it's uh it's pretty much gone in in a lot of ways when you think of just like true textile manufacturing in the United States but that's something you know now you guys are you're bringing back like the the mm-hmm. cone uh the cone looms and everything from there so to kind of jump back to the middle of the story here so you're at sites, and how does Imogene and Willie start? So, really, because I know we're jumping around. No, no, well, no, yeah, no, but the, jump, kind of the good. demise of you know that of the production, you know, that's ultimately what did it. We we were you know, I mean, e- even when I came aboard uh, to sites, um, so I was just doing freelance work for Gary's yeah. brother, and I think you know, as any good business person would would be like you know we're just paying him too much so let's put him on the payroll you know yeah so, yeah. so um you know i kind of got involved and um you know from the from the height of like when when i was there just for reference for anyone listening is like you know paper denim and cloth was a huge brand uh scott morrison had just left and started Ernest own so we were all a part of that sort of birth of a new you know uh, new brand, new New York, and a lot of like, you know, little smaller brands um, that would come to sites for development trips. And so that was sort of my role as one of the wash developers. Uh, there was just three of us that did that job. And, um, you know, from, from, from the time that I started till three, four years later, you know, it went from, we're pushing out 12 to 15,000 units a week, which, you know, for them, was it used to be two hundred and fifty two hundred fifty thousand a week, yeah. and then it down to so your doing, days fourteen fifteen. Wow. So yeah, so doing so the demise of the production and just manufacturing in general. So you've seen uh, this happen twice, really. Oh man, mm-hmm. yeah, and we've lived to see it happen twice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have. Dev- yes, and so uh, it got to the point where you know we were pushing through five hundred pairs a week. Okay. And it just didn't make sense. And to be honest with you, every person in our family, <laughs> Carrie's family in particular, but our family as I got married, as we got married, they they everyone worked there. So I feel like Carrie's dad had sort of a, you know, he, he felt he held on he a little bit obligation. too long. I think I think it was like sure. And I remember whenever they kind of were like it's okay. Like we're all going to be okay. We had a second intervention with him. Yeah. The second intervention yeah. was it's time to close. Well, you well know? that's, you know, he did feel a, a real obligation to continuing or offering a, a place of employment for four of his children and three of their significant others. I mean, it literally was. What do you talk about at Thanksgiving when you got the whole family doing the family biz? Same thing we talk about now. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking blue jeans. Yes. Um, but then it's also, so he that felt and- such an obligation, like a, a really authentic, sweet obligation to our town. I mean, oh. the number of people that were employed there over the years that really, I mean, it was a piece, piece rate. Mm-hmm. Um, set up in the in the factory, but there were. I mean, we had executives in the company. It was a you know it was a su- 
pretty yeah, with high big school, company. Yeah, with high school diplomas and or, or maybe not. not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or not. people that were making really good money traveling all over the world yeah. who might not have previously ever left our hometown. Wow. So I think there were a lot of pieces to it, but the biggest being denial and denial. Yeah. I mean, it, it just needed to be over. And so as it starts to kind of disintegrate, for lack of a better term, you... Well, we I mean literally. I mean, um, we filed for unemployment. I mean, that was the we had a way. yard sale to pay our mortgage. Yeah, we yeah we had a yard sale to pay our mortgage, and we literally had unemployment, and we were still working because it was a family business without a paycheck. I mean, there was no revenue coming in, so there was nothing to be paid. But you still needed to wrap up. Yeah, you know the finishing. So a lot of that, you know, I mean, that was a real. You know, I mean, but still, I mean, how old were we? 31? I mean, we were still super young. That's a real baptism by fire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was sort of like, we still can do anything. And and I remember, you know, I remember saying to Carrie, like, you know, what about like starting a food truck downtown? And like, you know, can that... Very ahead of like, the curve. Just just starting things. <laughs> we were going to make crepes. Yeah. Well, we went to Austin one time and we had crepes for the first time, or at least I did. And I was like, this is amazing. And so, you know, we thought about doing something different, but, to, but really it did come back to me sort of saying to Carrie, like, this is all you know. And this is what I've been doing for the last three, four years. And uh, what if we just keep doing it? And I remember having a conversation with, with Carrie's brother, um, Bart, um, about starting a denim brand. And, you know, he, I didn't understand this at the time, but, you know, Bart had two kids and, mm-hmm. and wife and a family and, and a mortgage and, car payments and everything that goes along with that. And he was like, look, to start a brand, you need $20 million. And where are you going to get that? And I, and, but I was sort of thinking to myself, like, do you really need 20 million? You know what I mean? Like I was sort of like, maybe if you don't have anything, then this could, you can bring something out of nothing, if you will. Sure. So what we did, I mean, I might be jumping a we little bit ahead. We were coming out no, of fine. a time, though, that most brand, really all brands were were funded well like that. Yeah. So it was. Yeah, that there was is where it was. Absolutely, that's very true. I mean, what in the year is this? Market, oh, oh eight. Eight. So okay. Just you know, oh eight. Right. Two thousand eight. Remember oh eight? The apocalypse <laughs> yeah. of. I wonder uh, what happened then. Yeah. 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 I mean, so, but also, you were coming out at a time where. You know, again, because uh, so much of your guys, your business and mindset was really kind of a- ahead of the curve. When that brand launches, uh, the the whole new like sort of rebirth of Americana and workwear, yeah. and this this really cool, uh, just like buy less, buy better sort yeah. of lifestyle. Uh, and, and I and I want to be very careful with my words because I don't say this that the the financial crisis was good for your business in any way. But there was a mentality that was Absolutely. formed from that That's in the right. sense that like, don't be such a dick with your money and right. and, yeah. and spend money that you don't have. Right. Be smart. Be yeah. a smart consumer. Don't and do fast, fast, fast fashion. <laughs> yeah. You know, like don't go to Old Navy and buy a bunch of crap. Yeah. Buy one thing that's really great that you maybe wear for, you know. And I remember people at that time were like, for 75 cents a day. 
Yeah. You know, that's all that gene costs you for a year. You know what I mean? And you're like, well, you're down that way. But <laughs> well, the reality was is that, you know, but you're exactly right in, yeah. in your observation of what happened. But the thing about your guys' brand, though, and it was funny because I told a friend of mine that I was going to talk to you too. And the first thing, he didn't say anything about the clothes. He didn't, he said, man, they were really, really are, but he's like, they're really good storytellers. He's like, when they, you know, he was like the gas station and just everything about your guys' brand, the feel, the mood, the vibe, the story. And, and, you know, and that's not any sort of knock against the product. It was the, it was the mood and the entire sort of lifestyle mm-hmm. world that was built around the denim, which well, is huge. And that, that's very kind. And that's the only way we knew to do it. All the stories, first of all, were real and are real. But second, second of all, we didn't even know what to think or how to think or couldn't imagine having PR. We knew we couldn't advertise. So we were left to our own devices and yeah, all we could do would be to tell stories. And I, I do want to say one more thing. Please. You, you talked about the Americana yeah. era right there. All of that is so ironic and interesting because I don't know other than, and I, I'm not going to tell you what it was, but we, we had another name okay, for what was later to become I'm Gina Willie. And oh shit, it's Imogene. Uh, it is. If I mean it, 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 it really on depends live, on where you I live. Guess. That uh, was clear the air real quick. Imogene or Imogene? Imogene. Yeah. All right. Do you hear that, sub- every single listener? <laughs> and that is not I am. Okay. Gene. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, it might have been to to your brother at one point. In time. Imogene is okay. How we say it. That was nope. my grandmother's name. Well, there you go. Keep going. So I'm, I'm sorry. Say Imogen. Well, Imogen, but yeah. Yeah, but it's not Imogen Heap. It's not the Fru yeah. Fru song. It's none of that. It's the hardest word to have in a brand name. That's <laughs> good SEO. Anyway, back to that. So we had a name, which we're not going to tell you. Okay. That um, thank God um, a mentor, my brother. Yeah, it was called the Dry Goods. Not to use <laughs> because we actually, our concept. Mm-hmm. was not tied to Americana. We weren't inspired by, I mean, yes, of course we were historically referencing and had studied for years. Sure. Um, workwear, but that all happened sort of parallel. I remember being so pumped about how we were doing it because think about it like this, the brand, I'm Gene Willie was born, mm-hmm. but the people that would, wear it or consume it they were tbd so hmm. whoever they were going to be who we didn't know yeah no that's like true it was a total crapshoot we just had like we worked really for a long time on perfecting to the best of our ability one men's gene and one women's gene yeah both in rigid raw fabric um which is some would say would be stupid. <laughs> um, however, we didn't know who, what bodies were going to go in those. So to me, I love that we had almost like a generic, really high quality, but a generic piece of clothing mm-hmm. that uh, yet to be seen how we would be defined. Mm-hmm. But we were quickly put in the Americana bucket. Yeah. And we're not mad about that, but it's really interesting looking back on it because we got pegged by that a bit and 
it's not really what the intention of the brand ever was meant to be. Uh, yeah. And fine. also it's just fine. the fact that we had seen so many brands start where they were just women's yeah, or just men's. And it's very rare to, to start a brand with for, for both sex or both gender. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But with that being said, when they would launch the men's side of their business or the women's side of their business, it was always a huge failure. So mm. we knew that we had to come out with both at the same time. And I'm Gene and Willie, of course, you know, being Carrie's maternal grandparents' names and so it so has a ring to it. You know, it's funny because whenever Carrie's dad says it, he says Willie and, and Imogene because he's referring to two people. You know what I mean? Right, right. Like that's how he always referred not, to not trademark brand. Correct. <laughs> so so you know for him to say Imogene and Willie um is is really identifying the brand. So that later came out as as a huge plus for us because you know, hmm, no pun intended. Well, yeah, that's that. There's that too. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so um, but you also, so you guys launched this brand, and for so many people, it was this huge excitement, this breath of fresh air. This, I mean, everyone was was really excited and invigorated by it. It was also becoming, um, not. It was a luxury. It was becoming a luxury brand, but not like when you think of, not like Mercedes sort of luxury, not snobby luxury. And for also a lot of people, it was their sort of um, first real understanding of quality and 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 what that meant. And to yes, because what they're buying it earlier, what like some when the day we opened, men's gym was two hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah, the women's was when people were losing their houses. Yeah, and you know a lot of people told. I mean, literally, that was one of those moments of like turn the news off we can't listen to anything that's negative it all has to be just sort of like we we're moving forward with this idea mm-hmm. and you know there's a lot of people that thought we were you know, we were insane well so here's a honest question i always ask people this that like so you start your brand and you have a lot of people like as you just said told you that you were insane a lot of most everyone so yeah. what what does that do to you? It just for, gave us a lot of energy. It did. <laughs> it did that. I mean, it, it. It. But I will say this. I mean, it's kind of going off a little bit. But um, I, there was this kid that came in the shop one day. You know, a year or two down the road from what we're talking about right now, and he was like, "I'm an artist. I'm a painter." And, and as an artist, I always, you know, I'm like, oh, here we, you know, here we <laughs> All go. All right. Here Let's we hear go. it. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> That's and, not very nice. Well, but it's true. And every, I'll say it, every artist judges other artists in that weird way. Yeah. So he was like, it's a, I it's was a like, defense mechanism. Yeah. And so he was like, let me show you my paintings on Facebook. And I'm like, oh my God. So I turn the register around <laughs> and he gets mess. online and he shows me these fucking amazing paintings and i was just like what the i was like this i was like dude you're really good like really good Uh oh and so he had this one painting and i'll never forget mm. when i saw it and it was called the allegory of happiness and i said to him well i don't even know what allegory i don't know what that means and without showing or without being able to see the painting there's one central figure who is a, a woman and she has her back turned to a, a, a bunch of other figures. Uh-huh. 
And his explanation to me was, in order to be happy, there are things that you're going to have to turn your back on or not view or see. Like if you get caught up in the people and so-and-so are starving or Mm. this or that, in order for you to be truly happy, you, you can't acknowledge everything that's going on in the world because it could be one of those things that bogs you down. And I feel like that was sort of the metaphor, if you will, that sort of started Imogene and Willie. Cause I remember we would just even watch the news and I would be like, everyone's going to die type, you know, that's yeah. the way 2008 was. And yeah. we, I mean, I, when I say we literally just stopped watching TV we did. We we, we just, stopped watching TV and we bought that painting on a payment plan. Yeah, we. You did. It's yeah, because I was going to ask, like, do you own this painting? Yeah. Yeah. they tried to buy it back from us. Not did they? Too, yeah, not too long ago with a profit, and I said work. no. His oh name wow, Casey it's Pierce. Just, Casey Pierce. Yeah, and so you know, and now Casey's like big music video director and whatnot, and probably doesn't even paint anymore. But that the point of that story is just that that we were crazy and we were stupid enough to ju- just do it. And I think that there, I think that that in itself is, is um, the one thing that I can be most proud about in, in all of this is just that, you know, we just went and did it. Yes, we did it. We launched a podcast network and our first of many new podcasts is a show about business and family. It's called Coffee with the Greats, and it's hosted by actor Miles Fisher. The podcast explores the age-old question of what does it mean to be great, and how do we get there? The first episode is with chairman and CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, Mr. Jamie Dimon. It's an extremely candid and revealing episode with one of the giants of the financial world. Something I love the most about this pod is that it keeps it different from your standard How I Built This Podcast, is the show is co-hosted by Miles' father, who was previously head of the Federal Reserve out of Dallas. The same camaraderie that you hear with the great menswear and fashion personalities on Blamo, you hear on this show too. The first episode is live right now on the Coffee with the Greats podcast feed. Just search Coffee with the Greats on your podcast app and enjoy. Well, and we just went and did it and did not, we, we did have a business plan. It it took well, us, it took us four months to learn how to write it. Yeah, Because yeah. I, I just we, want to jump back very very yes, quickly, yeah. and I want because I don't I don't want to interrupt you too much in the sense that you had a lot of merchant experience both in the things. sense, and I, I want to call that out in that like you guys didn't just throw a dart at the board and say let's start this kind of company. We didn't and fall it, off a pumpkin truck. Yeah, but, yeah. But. yeah. You 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 did have some you know, some intelligence and some experience on how to create this world. But sorry, go ahead. Continue. No, well, that ties into what I was going to say. We, we did, but through like via helping others with Mm. their brands. So we had a lot of indirect experience with, you know, little brands all the way up to working with Ralph and, um, and Levi's and Levi's Europe and on and on, uh, diesel replay. We, we had to, when the Southeast dried up, one of the ways that we kept on going, we, we had plants in Turkey and that's why I live there. India, Dominican, Dominican Republic, Republic, Mexico, blah, blah, blah. Wow. So anyway, I'm getting to a point. Um, this was important. Hold on. Oh, 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 I know what I was going to say. So we had experience and we did have a business plan. 
and we were maybe more savvy than someone could be, but we we really weren't. Like we did not have, we couldn't really see past where we were. Meaning, yeah. we still we actually still have this piece of paper. I'm a writer. I like to retain. I mm-hmm. write things down, and we have the sheet, and we planned out. Even though we had some some help from some advisors, we have we have to make this much a day in this model, this much a day, like down, you know, we very have to make simplified. a thousand dollars. We have to yeah. make to do this, you know, it was very we thought of it very simply mm-hmm. and didn't have any expansion or growth plan whatsoever. Getting to my point, I think the best asset we had for for the people that found us early on was having the sewing machines in the shop. And that was out of necessity. We, we lived there. We had our sewing machines there. We did everything there because mm. that's what we could afford to do. And we wanted people to understand that things were not, <laughs> we were in 2008 partly because things were not being made in America anymore. Right. And I just thought about this sitting here listening to you all. That took almost 10 years. The past 10 years, it's taken that long for people to really understand that. We had to explain, we've had to explain a lot over the years. And I think just just really today, people that consume our product, they're really realizing what was going on back then. It's just really interesting to me that it was almost like a, pre, a, a pre-game or a, a pre- um, a pre-course on where we are with this whole demise of production in America. Would yeah. you agree? I don't, I mean, it, I would just, I just remember people looking at the sewing machines and they're like, wait, what? <laughs> like, why? You mean like you mean people thought made here? They, they just, it just, it was like an undercurrent. Oh yeah. Thank you. Undercurrent of, of a crisis that was going on at that time that, I, I, I'm happy that we, we were a tiny part of maybe being, um, exposing that it was a big issue, if that makes sense. I think there was, there was an ignorance though that was happening at that time. Cause it's not that blinders. Yeah. I mean, just people were just used to getting things quicker, getting things cheaper. And, you know, a lot of people, um, I want to say it's not saying like ages or anything, but I remember like my grandma you know, when I would tell them like what I got something and they were just like, wait, it was made where? No, 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 no. Like there's just kind of like in denial, you know, and I bet so many people just assumed thought. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, because you had sewing machines in your store, not as props because you were using them because that's, that's, I always get so mad. You like go into a store and you see this like sewing machine on the wall and it like clearly is broken and is not plugged in or anything. And it's just like, oh yeah, that's just here. So you know that, you know, we, we think about things. I mean, KP, our partner told us the other day that he read it. This even shocked me. And we, we live this every day. We've lived this every day, our whole life lives Um, in the sixties and seventies. Um, 95%, 98% of clothing was made right here. And today, less than 3%. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, and this is this leads me to a bigger thing, and I'm I'm curious about this because there is so much prestige that was gone uh, from from a manufacturing job. You know. So, and this is like I'm not trying to get FDR New Deal sort of history era here, but there was so much about uh, specifically in the middle of the United States where it was about manufacturing, and it was you know, and then eventually more and more parents wanted to raise their kids to be lawyers and doctors and all these things that they viewed as not necessarily above that role, but something where it was more about make as much money as you can. Yeah. You know, well, but more that exactly. And I think, um, you know, I mean, I, I was very fortunate. My grandmother was a nurse and obviously had to go to school to do that. She's 93 now. And, and or will be next week and she you know she had that luxury but i know so many my other grandmother was a factory worker for her whole life because that's the job she took at a plastics um factory mm. and stayed there her whole life i mean so diamonds the point, in my wedding yeah, band like, are from her yeah, it's like, anniversaries for hey we have here really you, you you've been here got. for 25 years miss edmondson so here's your diamond you know ring or whatever yeah and so the thing about that is is that you're exactly right people wanted a better life for they didn't want them to do what they were doing yeah and so later later down the line nashville has now become this sort of like third base if you will for fashion uh new york la and nashville this is like a real thing which is hard for me to kind of comprehend because you know, because even, it's not a real thing. Well, you think that? I well, mean, it's just like you see. There's so many brands and there's so many people in Nashville that are actually makers and are doing things. And and you know the and and I there was an uh, there was a big thing about bringing back sewing mm-hmm. in Nashville. And there was there was even an opportunity um, for us to create you know sort of this this board and an alliance, if you will. And and what came out of that was the simple fact that there are, um, is it the battered women's um, shelter slash, there's some organization that basically it was like, Hey, we're Refugee teaching these women, we're teaching these women to sew mm-hmm. and through that, then they can possibly get jobs and so on and so forth. And I was really adamant, uh, just because people were looking at us and what we did as sort of like, can, how can you guys help with this? And I was like, look, the only people that I have seen take a brand and make the maker aspect of it cool again, and that I've personally seen, sure, is this company in Portland called Tanner Goods. I walked into Tanner Goods in Portland, Oregon, and. They're bumping Biggie Smalls. The whole place is electric. Everyone's got tattoos. There's, you know, seven, eight people in the sewing machine. There's seven, eight people over stamping out leather. They made sewing cool. They made it cool. It was, I was like, man, I want to sit down and learn. You know what I mean? Like, I right. was, so when someone would come into that environment, and, and, you know, and see this happening, well, yeah, they'd want to be a part of it as opposed to grandma, sewing machine, one operation, one thing all day. Not reinventing. Not, 
just the brrr, art. Right. That's it. And I, I thought there is a way to do this. Like you can make this cool. You know, we can make this cool. And sites really had a lot of, I mean, way Bart, you know, directed us at sites was great playlist that pumping through the, you know, everyone got sort of in a groove by having this music playing. And even though you were washing, standing in front of dryers and you know what I'm saying, but right. there was an aspect of like pride, pride. And, yeah, and just like, it was, it was just dope. I just was like, this is incredible. And I thought if this model that Tanner, had rich. Come, if, if this model that Tanner had come up rich with could be, mm. you know, meanwhile, you know, our sewers were two immigrants from the Philippines. Mm-hmm. One was a master pattern maker plus a master sewer, which is like unheard of. Like you do either you do pattern making and sewing, but you don't do both. And he did both. And then he taught his wife to sew. And she was, I mean, in our business model for, for Imogene and Willie, uh, we were making clothes for, for Ralph Lauren. We were making stuff for double RL for the J- Japanese market. So it was yeah. made in America, even though none of their other stuff was made in America. It was all made in China. That's how we, we were making like year. beacon yeah. blanket vest out of vintage beacon blankets and they were selling for, you know, I don't know, $1,500, $2,400 in Japan, you know? So, so what does that do for your guys' heads when you're trying to build your own brand and you're basically, it sounds like you were using a lot of the same manufacturing steps and in your case, maybe even better, far superior than what you were even making for some of the brands that you're making, but they're turning around and selling this product for seven, eight X or whatever, what you guys were selling yours for. Can I speak to that? Yeah. Uh, That's such a blip in the story. I would say because two parts, one, we set it up. We didn't have any intention of necessarily continuing with that part of the business model. And we were really transparent with, with the double RL division team Mm -hmm. that we hope to evolve into fully, wholly working for ourselves. Mm. Um, But they were customers at sites. So really it was a a win-win. We were helping them. They were helping us. Right. So we, I can't remember exactly how it was set up, but we agreed to give them X amount of months notice where we would need basically our own capacity back. So um, it, that was, that was just such a tiny moment in, in the whole, in the whole timeline. Now speaking to the, the margins, actually I've never thought about that because I've thought, I've always thought our margins were so good. Right. We've never, uh, we've never, wavered on on where we started and what we were getting all by making it still in the states like to think that your margin could be better than ours was then by going offshore it just seems at at the time it just seemed like we would be thieves right like right i hope that answers you no i understand we were making plenty off of a unit yeah and in you know hopefully at least to us our our intention was to do it with a lot of integrity yeah i think the difference was is what maybe what someone else thought was plenty maybe wasn't enough it sounds like but it, yeah, it sucks to be them I, no for sure yeah uh and i think that's 
because the thing that I'm hearing from that too is that you can make things domestically Mm -hmm. and you can make a living doing it. Obviously your guys, you know, legacy is in front of me and you can also, you can do this for other people. Our partners who we love dearly, um, our partners of two for two years, the last two years, we still laugh about this, but they, they still, after like a a long period of due diligence, still did not believe us. (laughs) that our margins were what they were on paper and we laugh at it all the time because now they, you know, together now we tell right. our board <laughs> yeah. that and they're like, yeah, we just, we really didn't think it was possible. It's so possible to still make things here. So what, what do you say to the people that are saying that it, it's not like, what, is there, what are you doing differently that makes it so you can make things here or right. are you? I don't really think that we're telling anyone that they can or cannot do anything. Um, especially for someone who might be in tech or, you know, mm-hmm. things that, that are obviously not the same. But from from what our business is and how we do things, um, there were still enough things around. There were still, you know, I'm, there was still a place in, in Kentucky sewing jeans. Actually, two places that I knew of, just three places that I knew of, um, just when we started I'm a Gina Willie. And I think that that was, you know, um, still, we were still aware that, Mm. uh, you know, they're, they're making, yes, it's for Walmart and it's fireproof pants, you know, made of denim for firefighters or Or military, or military, or military, obviously military contracts, which really is what kept most of these places in business. Um, they, they still existed. So, you know. Where are you going to get like the most dynamic quality from a guy or a, a, a from a sewer who was spent all morning on Walmart and then hey now it's time to work on Imogene and Willie stuff and you right. know, zigzag stitch and you know pockets sewn doubled over and you know you couldn't put your hand in the <laughs> jean which I've seen all of that um, <laughs> but. You know what, though, to to be fair, we, and this was on purpose, too, Mm -hmm. we wanted, from the beginning, we were fine to maybe get to wholesale as a part of our business, but really wanted to directly work with and touch and talk to and see the customer ourselves. Mm. So, our... we are a we are a retailer. We're a manufacturer. We're a brand. We're a manufacturer. Um, we are a retailer. We retail. Mm-hmm. Um, and wholesale is a tiny part of our business that that is expanding. But that, to be fair, we're not primarily a wholesaler, That's which true. of course shifts your your margins your, and your your perspective on yeah on your your margin. Yeah. Now we're still profitable with our wholesale margin. Yeah. But we are in our heart. We're retailers. Yeah. Well, I mean, cause then that's, sounds like that's where you started and that's where mm-hmm. you've always, you know, stayed the best at. And I think that something that you had done that only maybe a few other brands have ever been able to do this is you also, you built an American brand that was of products made in America of, that was a symbol of America, but it was also 
a luxury brand. You know, when a lot of times you think of a luxury brand, and I hope you don't cringe when I say the the L word, but like just my right shoulder, okay, (laughs) just just my eye, just. (laughs) But I say like luxury in an admiring way because a lot of times you think that and you think, oh, luxury, it's you know, eight hundred X. It's it's not made for anyone else. They can't have it. You know, it's made in these other countries, Mm -hmm. but what you did is you made an American brand, a luxury brand. Wow. You're right. Yeah. I've never heard anyone say it, but listen, I, re- I mean, going back to what we were saying about Americana and all that, yeah. we, we, uh, uh, someone we worked with very early on, uh, told us you need to make sure that you disassociate with that word as, 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 much as possible with the L word. No, with the Americana. Oh, the workwear. Word. Any anything that that had something to do with a beard and and a vest. and and, and, and okay. Vest now I understand what you mean. And, yeah, and uh, overalls or any kind of trucker jacket or right. any, hickory any, stripe. Any, yeah, any, yeah, hickory stripe. Anything that looked like a railroad conductor, you need to stay away from. And <laughs> and uh, I knew exactly what that meant. Yes, you can make a chambray shirt. J. Crew was making chambray shirts, you know. Sure. So you can do that, but let's not put that label on there. That's just a chambray shirt, you know. And so we we uh, took note to that very early that you know those trends and those things aren't going to last long. Well, there you go. I mean, you said it because when you think about what happened, so two thousand nine, you guys are out, and then you have. 2010, I don't know, 2013, 14, and it is just blowing up. It's all, you got bean boots and red wings and I'm a jean and Willie jeans yeah. and your flannel shirt. And yeah. then, you know, over the past few years, you know, obviously trends come and go. And so that now it's your, I don't know, tracksuit, sweatpants, yeah. Yeah. and we're like denim is like, oh no, man, I just want to be comfortable. Yeah, well, that's me. I mean, I, you know, and so like, you know, I looked at it like this. It's like, um, the magazine free and easy, the Japanese. Oh yeah. Free and easy. RIP. Yeah. Right. So, well, it's hell Mary now. Yeah. (laughs) But I would, I, I start to watch that change into the point of where their first interest in the people that were so into it, wanted to see pictures of Red Wings, worn in wallets, you know, mm-hmm. uh, all these patina, patina, <laughs> all this stuff that goes along with that. And, yeah. and then it started getting preppy and preppier and preppier. And people were like, what, what are they doing? And I was like, they're covering the change. I was like, nothing. I was like, every 10 years, something pops off to the point where 10 years ago looks so long ago. I mean, in 89, 79 was not, you know, that was a, that was forever ago. That was right. my dad's era. Right. It's 89 now. I'm yeah. Teen Wolf. <laughs> so, so the point being is that, you know, those things change. And, and, and here's the thing, man, there's still jackets that we make that we made 10 years ago. It's just, there's an evolution of that jacket, you know? Right. And what, what that jacket means now. And, I even remember saying in a meeting last week, I was like, I don't ever want to see this jacket ever again. Like it's over. Let's get, let's done. Get it out but of here. Converse to that. Willie, the first jean. Yeah. I'm a jean, the first jean. Still rolling, rolling, yeah, still, rolling. Because still, still I people really think coming we, in to get it. Yeah. Because I, I, we really took heed to, to that person that told us that. And 
really defined like internally between the two of us and our team said, okay, this it's basically the Willy, the Imogene gene and the Willy. It's like a widget or a, it's a um, non-gender, a non, um, it's a, it's a, it's, it's for a, everyone. It's a something yeah. that whether it be Americana 09 to 11 <laughs> or um, all the iterations that came out of that. And now, you know, back to or trending towards streetwear and whatever will evolve from that those fits still work yeah like the, the skeleton of it or the dna or the blueprint yeah so that's where i was going earlier and i think we forget about it we need to talk about that more all of us the team it's i think we'll i really think we'll be okay if we can keep thinking that way i mean i I agree with you. And not trying to be wherever it's going. Well, I think there's, it's really hard to become what people would call a classic, right? But classics in the, in the good way, they never die because it's also where you have to start. Um, Look, you're going to, you're having, there are people now where say like my little brother's era, sorry, Trevor. 25. Yeah. And where like when he was getting into clothes, he was getting into clothes that are not what i would get into you know like it's it wasn't my entry point mm-hmm. right i'm trying to but, think what that would be i don't know it's trash clothes yeah. but i'll just leave it at that i guess but yeah he was i mean he's really was really into streetwear and mm-hmm. supreme I, I i'm i'm whine about supreme a ton on this pod but i, 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 I used I've to spe- read this and heard this okay yeah i used to spend a lot of money on supreme but for me supreme is it's just it's it's not it's it's hype and and it also lost, it used to be for everyone, even though it was made specifically for skaters, but now it's for no one unless you're super, super rich to get it. And Man, it, I was bummed when we went to the store. Did, would they not let you in? Was there a line? No, I was just really bummed. I was so excited. Oh, this oh, was so like you- six months ago. You went in and you got to experience we it. experienced something. Yeah. I don't know why. Yeah, well, yeah. we're 45. I just was like, can we turn the music old. down? Well, but see, there's the thing, right? I'm like- for some people, that's their entry point into clothes. Sure. Right. And eventually they're like, what the hell? Like, surely there's a better way or this is not what it should be. And y- now you see guys like my little brother's age or people in their, in their mid-20s. And they're like, I want a classic straight leg jean with a kind of a higher rise. And, and you're like, what? Really? Yeah, well, no, and, and that's the thing, right? And you're just like, well, wait, what? Like, And so- the very long-winded point I was trying to make is to get something like that, you have to make a classic product. But the best news about that and what I hope a lot of people realize is like, but that's still where you want to start and that's kind of where you want to stay. Like I'm wearing 501s and I've kind of, I love, I've worn all, I've worn crazy weird Dior jeans and all sorts of other stuff. Paper denim cloth with the little uh, bar tack or, or whatever it was that was right on the crotch. Mm-hmm. You remember that? That mm-hmm. was their thing. That's very strange when I think about it now, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> but th- I had all these entry points, but where I'm kind of coming back is to Home. the classics. Yeah. Stuff yeah. that's that. It also looks good with different people, you know, and you, I'll wear this with a sport coat. You can wear it with the sweat, with the sweater. I mean, and I think that's probably the hardest thing, but you guys did that and you did it right out the gate. But I think it's also because you've tried to stay true to what you started versus and let's face the facts like i don't think that either one of us i know i don't and i know she doesn't for herself but i say that 
we're not designers. Like we, we didn't go into this as like, we're not really fashion. <laughs> I was getting ready to, a tre- trend to make report. some sort of like, you know, European voice. You yeah. know what I mean? But like the reality is, is that like, this is, I just was like, man, that looks really cool. And, and let's, let's face the facts. I always make the joke. I'm like, you only have two legs. So there's only so much you can do here, you know? Right. And yeah. then, then, you know, out of that, we, we experienced all of our customers coming in because we were there to experience it. So when there was another fit to be made, it was born out of what we did not have available or, or what we, we were altering. Mm. So Willie, I want a Willie, you know, I don't want this 17 inch leg opening. Well, okay. okay so now we need to make the Barton and then the Barton slim and then the Charlie and then, and on down the road. And so all, so Every season when we all sit around and say, what's, what's spring going to be 2021, <laughs> it's not a lot of talk about new jeans as mm. much as there's new washes and new fabrics, but not so much new fits because the, the fits really have, I mean, I don't want to say, say of, are perfect because they're never perfect, but they, they're, they're what people are coming back to us for. We're not talking about what rises, you know, we could go up, we could go down, we could go, we could sure. open, we could taper, um, we could shift the hip, blah, blah, blah. We're talking about what story we want to tell. Mm-hmm. And full circle, the story, uh, we're going to tell it to you right now before, <laughs> before we even get there to tell you in spring 21. Every, our story is still about making things here. Right. And there's a, a big, big, big thing that no longer is a secret that we're really um, sort of in shock about being a part of. But the Vidalia piece, mm-hmm. the the salvage looms from from Cone almost being shipped and, and or thrown away or salvaged. And, and now all of a sudden we saw it with our own eyes. They are on a factory floor in a in an old fruit of the loom factory right in um mississippi and we are gonna be making our fabric in america again when for the past 48 months we thought it would never be possible again so i just wanted to just want to throw that in that yeah we're we're always watching our customer to see where we need to go with Mm -hmm. bodies but we we have a lot of things to connect with um the people that might consider buying from us when it comes to making sure they're like fully ingrained in what's going on with the integrity of that pant. Mm. Wow. No, I mean, it's a big deal. It Well, it is a big deal. And I, I think that's, that's the tough part too. And I, you know, it, it's funny cause you were talking about like people didn't really understand, uh, you know, what you guys were doing at the very beginning or they, they just assumed things were made, you know, there and they weren't because issues. I think that's kind of the issue that's happening again now in which people are just like, someone said, I just need to get clothes for the weekend. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> no, like, no, buy clothes for ever. Yeah, like every weekend. Yeah, or or, or just like buying it because their their mentality that they were saying is like I just need to get clothes that I can like wear for the weekend and, and throw away. Wow. Like that was the thing is it's like I just want to like buy. Said that when? 
Uh, this was a friend of mine that I was talking huh. to the other day. He's like, yeah, I just need to get a shirt that I can wear for this weekend, and then it's fine. I'll just, like, trash it or whatever. But why was that? Well, why? Be- well one, why throw it away? Because there's no true value that's being assigned to these clothes, mm-hmm. I think. that. Well, actually, I know. And it's because, in some ways, I think clothing is too accessible sometimes. When you think about what people had back then, and now I'm going to sound like some old shit or something, but it's like, you don't need 700 pairs of jeans. You don't need all these other things. That's great if you're, whatever. But it's like, you don't need a shirt for Saturday night. You need a shirt. And you can wear that shirt on Saturday mm-hmm. night. And because it's so good, you can keep wearing it. And that I I want people to be like that more with their clothes. Like we do too. We do too. <laughs> yeah, sure. And, and it's crazy to think that even as like and I say this humbly, as responsible as we have been mm-hmm. and as um respon- as more responsible as we are trying to become, that's still not enough. Like our our team, um the generation more so like your brother, your mm-hmm. little brother. Most of our team, I would say, the majority of our team, their ages are um, probably st- starting at 22 through 30, like low 30s. Okay. And they are on our asses every day about not only how we're making something, but really they are um, advocating to not buy luxury goods. Mm. They they are on like the sustainability are, type or yes. how how can we yes, reduce absolutely. our carbon footprint type stuff? Yes. So it's it's going to be interesting how those two mindsets are gonna yeah. gonna run parallel because both are responsible. I agree. So I'm I'm really curious and I'm so I'm so proud of our, our kids that they're thinking that way. And I call them our kids. They're they're our equals, but um I'm just, I'm really curious how all of that's going to pan out. Yeah. Well, the, the biggest thing that happened, and we don't have to talk too much about this, is so every year Larry Fink of uh, BlackRock writes, you know, BlackRock, by the way, controls seven, seven and a half trillion or seven trillion dollars in, in assets. These are pensions, 401ks, money that's just invested across. It's a whole other can of worms. But uh, every year he writes a letter an open letter or letter, you know, CEOs and stuff. And it basically talks about the initiatives that he'd like to see people do. And when you have this much money, when you talk, people, people will listen. listen. And the biggest thing, uh, in this, this recent letter that was out in January was about, um, telling that like people aren't doing enough companies aren't doing enough to combat the, you know, upcoming and ongoing climate crisis. And his, his words against it were that it's going to be a huge strain on the financial system. Uh, so it, the interesting thing is like the capitalist mindset is is now really starting to get into like, oh, wait, yeah, maybe us buying a shirt for Saturday night that we're going to wear and get rid of that we bought cheaply that wasn't made, you know, correctly. That's, you know, just going to get wasted. Maybe that's actually going to affect my wallet. Oh, crap. I probably should do something about it. And, right. you know, it's. That because as soon as that happened, I mean, Delta announced their weird little carbon neutral plan, whatever they're going to do. You know, Jeff Bezos did his thing. Microsoft is going to do their thing. And so it's going to be really interesting to see how more and more brands, and I'm really curious to see how clothing brands, Mm -hmm. being that, you know, it's like the second largest polluter, are going to try to, I don't know, for lack of a better term, step up and yeah, (laughs) save face and just be like, oh, yeah, how should we do this? Yeah. 
Um, but it's great that your staff's trying to talk to you about that. Well, yeah, they, they, you know, of course them being a lot younger than we are, they, they have always, always been at the forefront of, you know, what is happening and, and being very on the, on the revolution side of things. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it does make sense that, you know, they're bringing that forward. And then when we talk about the fact that all of this cotton is grown in Alabama, yet there's no plant in Alabama making cotton, yarn, string, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, after five years of talking, so go back five years when yeah. Valdelia's first started talking about getting the grants, doing this type of you know state-of-the-art facility, their whole thing was always the the S word sustainability, but they're living and breathing it to a level that I've personally never seen because I don't. We're think, gonna have to go to school for it. To yeah, and and, it. and yeah. I think that word gets thrown around so much, and I don't even know what sustainability means anymore. You know, what yeah, you're people right. are ref, You know, referring to whenever they say it, but what I do know is is that if your cotton is being grown right there outside the door yeah and the cotton gin is picking that cotton up and turning it into bells and then you are literally moving it into your building which is a parking lot away yeah what does that say for (laughs) cotton being shipped to japan for them to make the best denim in the world then to only come back to us in Nashville or Los Angeles where we make everything. Yeah. It's and it's, maybe where the rubber will hit the road. And look, I'm a huge fan of of um restoration and use of anything old. Sure. I mean I I dress So you got some vintage on right now. To yeah. someone that can't afford anything. Like I, I really prefer old things and holy things that aren't mm-hmm. in great shape. Um but it, I really think rubber's going to hit the road when our our store manager, and we laugh about this, she she got a little red-cheeked about it. She put on Instagram at Christmas time on one of her little Insta stories. It said, I'm challenging everyone when when you're shopping for the holidays to only buy used things. So, you know, I'm doing that with our daughter. I'm trying to only buy used things. But yeah. she said that, and I was like, wait a second, you, you've, you've got some revenue to hit this month. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I just think about going back to the, the cotton and then going in the mill at Vidalia, that plant where they are that used to be Fruit of the Loom, yeah. that Fruit of the Loom plant employed most all of the little town of Vidalia. Wow. And what is the other town? Um, Natchez. Natchez, Mississippi. Mississippi. And when they shut that plant down, not only did no one have a job, but guess what? Meth, yeah, deaths, like left and right funerals everywhere because of Opium the addiction. epidemic. Yeah, and man, I I might I might advocate. I do I do back our kids, but I also advocate for people to have jobs in order to have a healthy life. Sure. And that probably comes from growing up on a factory floor, but that's probably what I'm going to fight for personally. Yeah. I mean, I, I might the, have some resignations. Well, there's a, all these things in a, in a perfect world. It's, it's moderation. 
you know, I mean, to, to say I'm never going to buy anything or to like, I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to become sustainable. To be honest, like, no, that you can't really do that. And, and you're going to, you need to drink water. You need to, yeah, you need to figure out like, okay, you, you know, you're going to buy shoes. Okay, fine. You're going to make shoes. You're going to, you know, do, that's fine. But I think all of these things are about being aware, um, you know, being a friend of mine said, like, the best thing that I'm trying to do is I am just going to carry this little reusable water bottle with me. And I'll just do that and fill that up. Right. And so I'm not, he's like, I think, he's like, at the end of the day, I looked at my trash can and there was just tons of plastic bottles. He's like, that's, I'm going to try to do that. That's fine. If we could all take on yeah. this number of. You, you don't need to shifts. uproot your whole life. Right. And move to yeah. Timbuktu and, and, you know, whatever you're going to do. Uh, I'm sure someone's going to message me. Uh, after this is out and just rip me a new one on it but that's fine i think all three of us maybe <laughs> maybe you and me yeah anyway um well then that's it we're good man it was really enjoyable really well good i i i really i really thank you and I, it, was, it was lovely to talk to both of you thank, thank so you so thanks so much you've been listening to blamo our theme music is by breakmaster cylinder we're edited by brendan finn and we're produced by blamo media Follow along with us on Instagram at Blamo Podcast and leave a review for us on your favorite podcast app. If you want even more Blamo, head over to patreon.com forward slash Blamo to join the Blam fam. You'll get access to additional interviews, a community slack, special events, and more. And best of all, you're supporting the show. Try it. It feels good. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week.